Welcome back to the fourth episode of The Wet Snood. Today I'm going to be interviewing Weston Meredith and we're going to be going over uh, how to hunt elk out west and uh, the preparation needed for that and we're going to dive uh, deep into that and then even get into some hunting strategies that he used out there. So uh, you want to introduce yourself, Weston? Yeah, hi, I'm Weston Meredith. I've been hunting for uh, almost as long as Gage has been hunting. Um, I've taken a couple trips out west now. And I guess that's the reason I'm on here today, so thanks for having me on. I'm pretty excited. Of course. Yeah, I mean, Weston, we've, we've been hunting together for a long time. Uh, if you go to the YouTube channel, you'll see me and Weston hunting together for sure. But uh, tell us a little bit. You've been out west twice now, so tell us a little bit how those trips went. Yeah, uh, the first trip I went out, uh, my uncle drew a mule deer tag in Wyoming. So I went out with him just to tag along on the hunt and pack his stuff in for him and stuff. And uh, that was unbelievable. That was the first time I was ever like across the Mississippi and uh, seeing seeing the mountains out west. It changes your whole life. You guys drove out, right? Yep, drove out. And uh, how long did that take you? It's about a thirty-hour drive, so we do it in two days. But really, it's not it's not bad at all. It's make it's pretty fun. You get to see a lot of pretty cool stuff on that drive. But yeah. Um, the first mule deer hunt definitely changed everything I ever thought about hunting. It's definitely a totally different style out there, but it changed everything. And I, as soon as I leave the mountains, I can't wait to get back to the mountains. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what was like some of your preparation for those, for those hunts? Like the materials you needed, maybe like uh physical training and whatnot. Um, well for the first one. I did not train very much. I went into it pretty blind, and it did definitely whip my butt a little bit. It was nice weather on that hunt, so that was very fortunate. It was like, you know, 70 degrees in the midday, so didn't have to be worrying about the cold too much, but I definitely got my butt whipped by the mountains on that hunt. And uh, so for the second hunt, going into that, we were running like six miles a day every day for about three months leading up to the hunt and working out hard. And trying to make sure that my lungs were good to go because that's the biggest thing from the first hunt was that the elevation makes it so difficult to breathe so you gotta have your lungs trained really well for going into the mountains what was like the average elevation out there that you guys are hunting uh between 8500 and maybe 10,000 feet so we we live at about 1600 feet so it's quite a bit of change uh and to clarify the first time you went and you were hunting with your uncle, and he was hunting for mule deer. Yeah. And the second hunt, Weston was hunting for elk for himself. Yep. So, uh, yeah. So, did you? If you think if you'd have done a like a because you did it, he hunted with a rifle both times. Do you think if you'd done it with like a bow, if you'd have pre- prepped differently? Oh, absolutely. Um, I definitely would have had a lot different gear. You know, I I don't worry that much about being super super stealthy on a rifle hunt, being that you know you. About 300 yards is the range you're going to be at out there. So I didn't worry too much about like focusing on like, okay, does this camo pattern look good and stuff. I just went for basic colors and mm-hmm. clothes that were comfortable and maybe not the most silent. Yeah. Um, I think an archery hunt definitely would be a lot more difficult than a rifle hunt out there. Covering that terrain would be very difficult to get into range. So big props to anybody who's done it. Mm-hmm. Um, what was like some of the gear that you had to get? Because you pretty much started from having no gear to go out west to hunt to having to buy everything from scratch. Yeah, um, definitely the two biggest pieces of gear that you want to look into when you go out west hunting is a good pair of boots. You want to have your feet really comfortable because it's that steepness of the mountains and all the walking you're going to do is hard on your feet. So definitely want to have a good pair of boots and you definitely want to have a good pack. You're going to be carrying a lot more weight on your back. And, you know, you think about it and you're like, oh, you know, 30, 45 pounds in a pack. That's not bad at all. And uh, start throwing in some extra gear and it turns into about 50 pounds. And then you walk, you know, a few miles in elevation with 50 pounds on your back. It's going to wear you out. So you definitely want to have a pack that's comfortable and can hold everything you want to take. Yeah. What, was, what would be like some basic gear that you take? Like if you had to take like five things, what would be those five nece- like necessities you need? Oh, Definitely need a cooker, like some kind of you know jet boiler or whatever you want to use. We had a, a like a stove called a biolite, which burned wood, but that was uh, good and bad in some ways. 
so that would be a definitely important one to take. Take more food than you think you need because if something were to go wrong and you get stranded out there, you don't want to be hungry for a few days. Yeah. Um, so definitely more food. Uh, we didn't do anything with like water purification because where we were, we had good water. But if you're in a you know an area where you, the water might not be good, definitely something for water purification. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, a good pair of boots, a really good pack. Um, and then you got to think uh, like one piece of cold weather gear that you don't think you're gonna need because it's surprising how cold it gets. Uh, like the first trip I was out there right around the middle of September and you think middle of September is gonna be nice and warm in midday it was it was absolutely beautiful you know 75 degrees midday but at night you'd be down to you know 25 30 degrees at night and you didn't expect that at all so definitely take an extra piece of cold weather gear that you think you won't need yeah so like tell us about some of like the uh, like what like the brand of bag you use and the type of uh, gear you took in like um to be totally honest with you, I don't remember the brand of pack that I had. Mm-hmm. It's a relatively inexpensive pack. It was like right around $120 range, I think. So if you're looking into Out West packs, that's pretty cheap. And really, it served me really well. I, I don't have any complaints about it. Mm-hmm. It's a bigger pack, so I can fit a lot of stuff in it. Um, the boots that I've been running are Mendel boots. And I think that'll probably be changed up for the next hunt. But I liked those a lot, especially for the warmer hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, so was preparing for the mule deer hunt, which was in September, was warmer different from the elk hunt, which was in October? Not a whole lot. I definitely took more clothes to the elk hunt. Definitely thought more about like my base layers and good socks mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. But that was the only the only big difference um i definitely took less stuff on the elk hunt though because i thought i would end up using a lot of stuff on the mule deer hunt like i brought a hammock with me and never used that i brought books with me in case there was downtime but i never had any downtime so i didn't bother Mm -hmm. to bring any books um i brought a lot of stuff that i didn't end up needing on the mule deer hunt so we definitely toned down our gear list a lot for the elk hunt do you definitely live and learn so each time you go out west, you'll probably be better prepared. Oh, I'm sure. You know, it's like anything else. The more you do something, the better you'll yeah. be at it. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the camping situation? How did you guys do that? Uh, we had a like a teepee style tent, so you would cut a stick for your ridge pole in the center of the tent. And a big thing that my uncle's real keen on or real big on is he wants a tent that has enough room that he can stand up to change his clothes. Because a lot of the tents you see, you know, you're like real smaller tents that are maybe a lot lighter, mm-hmm. but, you know, they're going to be like three feet high, so you can barely sit up in your bed to, you know, change your shirt and stuff. But with our tent that we had, it was like six feet tall, so you were able to stand up and uh, change your clothes, and that definitely helps because... Especially whenever it's cold in the mornings, you don't want to go outside and change your clothes and be all frozen. Yeah. Do you guys sleep on like a cot or just right on the ground? Uh, we had sleeping pads. Um, for the first hunt, we had the real old style foam rollout sleeping pads. And the second hunt, I had a little bit different one. Um, it was like a fold-up one, and I'm blanking on the name of the manufacturer on that, too. But I did not care for that at all, so my next hunt will definitely be one of the bigger names of the inflatable ones. Mm-hmm. So uh, how would you say money-wise would it go? Like, Do you think you went for pretty cheap? Do you think it would have been better if you spent more money? Do you think you would have had a better experience? Um, yeah, I definitely tried to you know, save a few bucks here and there where I could. And there's nothing wrong with that, like, you know whatever it takes for you to get out there and get going, go. You know, if you say like, oh man, I need, you know, Kenetrek boots and I need a, a brand new Vortex scope and a, a fancy rifle and, you know, you're spending all this money but you can't afford you know, to go on the hunt, then it's not worth it. So get what you can afford. Definitely, you know, the better gear you have, the easier your life's going to be out there. But if you can only afford, you know, a, a $50 pair of boots and that's what you have to go with, your feet might be hurting, but you'll be there, and that's yeah. all that matters. So tell us like about how much you think you spent and how you spent it and how you'd recommend p- 
people in the future would plan to spend money for this trip? I'd say like just gear alone. Mm -hmm. um, if you're including my rifle for all the gear for this hunt, I'd say in the $3,000 range. You say that's pretty cheap? Uh, I'd say that's middle ground. Okay. I mean, you definitely could go out there with probably a thousand, maybe a little bit under a thousand dollars in gear and you get might by. Be suffering a little bit. But yeah, you're not going to have some of the nicer features that you might be like, man, I wish I had that and it might not make it as much fun out there. But you know, you could be anywhere from probably six, seven hundred bucks in gear the whole way up to, oh, geez, probably, I don't know, 10,000 or more. Yeah. Depends on what you're doing. All right, well, so tell us a little bit how you uh, got the tag to go out there and even got, like, the idea to hunt out there in the first place. Um, my uncle has been a, a wilderness guide, a big game hunting guide out west for over 20 years now, and he's who I hunt with. So I, he's always said that he wanted to take me out hunting out in Wyoming and out west, and I've always wanted to do that. So whenever I got the opportunity to go with him on his tag for the mule deer hunt, definitely jumped on that. Um, but then, you know, once I started going out there and I started seeing the animals out there, I said, man, an elk hunt sounds great. I mean, elk are just unbelievable critters. That's a big creature. They got big racks and it's just, they're cool. Yeah. They're cool. So I knew I wanted to do an elk hunt. So for Wyoming, they run on a point system. Um, and it's a preference point system different than a bonus point system. Uh, so that means somebody with like so for my unit i got a special tag or i went into the special tag drawing which means it costs you about twice as much as the regular price tag but less people will be in that drawing so i went that route because it guaranteed me a tag or almost guaranteed me a tag with the two points that i had so you can get one point per year for wyoming and they run on a preference point system so that means that if you have one point and it takes, like everybody with two points is ahead of you. So everybody with two points might draw and nobody with one point or most of the people with two points might draw and nobody with one point will draw, which is different than like a bonus point system, which other states do, where a bonus point system Anybody with any points could draw, you just have a more likely chance with more points. So if you had five points, your name goes in the hat five times, compared to if you had one point, your name goes in the hat one time, but you could still be drawn. So definitely for starting out, you probably are going to have better odds with a bonus point system, but if you want like a guaranteed tag, a preference point system is the way to go for like Wyoming has. So you're gonna have to save up your points for a few years. So, yeah. So yeah. also it gives you some time to prep, like prepare and get all your stuff. Yeah, and definitely you know save money and start looking at different areas and learning different tactics, tactics and listening to different podcasts and watching mm -hmm. YouTube and reading. You know, like I had two bonus points for this hunt, so I had two years of getting bonus or preference points, and then the third year I drew my tag. So for three years. I made sure I had, you know, started accumulating the gear I needed, started saving money for the tag, because the tag is definitely going to be a big cost, especially if you go with the special tag. Um, so started saving money, started getting prepared to do this, and then after three years, and you can look at, like, previous year's history on how many points it took for, like, each unit. So my tag was a general elk tag, and last year, 100% of people drew with two points. So I knew I had a pretty darn good chance with two points in the special to draw. Mm -hmm. So I applied. And I think over 90% of people with two points drew for 2020 in the general unit in Wyoming with the special tag. So um, I had, you know, almost a guaranteed chance that I was going. I knew, you know... Mm -hmm. I can plan and say, this year I'm going on an elk hunt, and you know you're going to go. It's probably a lot better than you're not guessing which year you plan way in advance. Yeah, the, you know, it'd be difficult if you're, like, not finding out till I think I found out in the end of May if I was going or not. So, like, 
if you didn't know whether or not you're going to go and you find out and you got three months to prepare and get all that stuff ready to go, it can be a little more difficult than saying a year ahead of time, okay, next year I'm going to have enough points to draw mm-hmm. so I can start preparing a whole year ahead of time. Okay. And how much was, was it to buy points and then how much was the license itself? I think elk points for Wyoming, and don't quote me on this because I'm not 100% sure, but I think they're $75 per point. And then my tag in the special tag drawing was $1,200 or right around the $1,200 range. So all in total, um, a little bit over $1,300 and I was into a tag. So tag's quite a bit of money. Yeah, but yeah, it's definitely um, one of the most expensive parts of going, you know, other than probably getting there, or if you went with an outfitter, that's pretty expensive too, but getting there and getting the tag are the most expensive parts of going. But the nice thing is you can, like how you did it, you can plan ahead and put your points in, and once you get the points, you'll know. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I knew that, like, three years out, I knew that it was probably going to be the special tag drawing if I wanted to go with two points. So, uh... I, you know, I could save up that money over that time and be prepared for that hit because that's, you know, that's a lot of money for a tag for an animal mm-hmm. compared to, you know, Pennsylvania licenses. Yeah, because like. if you were in-state, did you do the same thing in-state to get the points and everything? Not for elk, mule deer, and antelope. In-state, I think residents draw um, elk, mule deer, and antelope, I'm pretty sure, but I think they still have a bonus point system or preference point system for like your bighorn sheep, moose, and maybe mountain goat. I don't know if they have, Yeah, I don't know if they do preference points for mountain goat or not. So you have a lot of, you can put in for a lot of different animals that are not there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, would you say it would be easier, or would you like recommend Wyoming as a state to hunt over different states out west? I definitely would like. If you go into a over-the-counter state, say Colorado and Idaho, both have over-the-counter units where you can just go and buy a tag, and I think the tags are relatively inexpensive comparatively, but you're going to get... A lot more hunting pressure. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to have everybody who ever wanted to try an elk hunt, they're going to be like, oh, well, Colorado, we can go next year. You know, Compared to waiting a couple years, there's not... As much competition with other hunters whenever you have to wait a few years to mm-hmm. get into a unit. Yeah, so you hear it from Weston, go to Wyoming. <laughs> well, you know, just not where I'm going. <laughs> so, uh, tell us about um, some of the hunting strategies you used once you got out there. Because, I mean, it's a it's quite a bit of a change from coming from Pennsylvania. Where the If you go up nor- northern Pennsylvania, the mountains, their elevation is about 2,500 feet compared to 10,000 feet. So... What are some of the strategies? Do you guys glass a lot? Do you guys just get boots in the ground? Or I think the best thing that we have done, and we did this for both hunts, is we went out and got... So like we packed in both times and slept in a tent in the wilderness and hunted out of the tent every day. And we went in two days before the season opened on both hunts. So we could have two days of scouting where you're scouting without a rifle in your hand. You're more focused on scouting and you're not like trying to be real sneaky like, oh, there could be an elk around this corner. I might be able to shoot. You're just scouting. So I definitely recommend that. Um, Definitely helps a lot, especially on the mule deer hunt. We had over 20 bucks spotted in that two days of scouting. So once the season opened, we could be like, okay, we're going on this ridge after this buck the first morning of the season and beat all that hunting pressure in there who's just rum-dumming around where they don't even know where the bucks are yet. Mm -hmm. So that definitely helped us out a lot. On the elk hunt, it didn't make as big of a difference because uh, while we had a lot of complications in our elk hunt, but uh, we still did spot some elk before season and it did get us at least in a spot for the first day where we had a good chance. So what about, so you just would just pretty much just, gla- you're pretty much just glassing the whole time? Yeah, you know, a lot of boots on the ground covered, you know, like go, say, we're going to go up to this ridge and glass off this ridge for the next two or three hours. 
and then go up to this ridge and glass off this ridge for the next two or three hours just looking for game. So that's our how we did most of our scouting. Um, and then whenever we were actually hunting, we would try to have already knowing like, okay, the elk are living in this area or the deer are living in this area. And a deer, especially early season deer, is a lot easier because they're in that like summertime pattern, similar to a whitetail would be, where they're pretty patternable. Whereas the elk, it was post rut for the rifle hunt, and they're a little less patternable, but you're still gonna know the general area they're in. So it definitely helps you set up by glassing ahead of time, helps you set up on them. And then uh, on the deer hunt, even while we were hunting, we were doing a lot of glassing and more of like glassing and stalking kind of deal. Whereas on the elk hunt, it was a lot of boots on the ground just trying to figure out where they're all going. And we had more pressure on our elk hunt. So after the first day, like I killed my bull on the second day of the hunt, but the elk definitely got bumped around a lot on the first day because there was a lot of guys where we were. Mm-hmm. So um, you want to go into the stories on both the uh, hunts? Or before that, um, so you were fortunate enough where your uncle harvested a mule deer on the first hunt and you harvested a bull on the second hunt. Say if you didn't harvest anything on those hunts, you think you were better prepared for the next hunt by being out there? You think like if you went back, say if you didn't get a bull this year and went back again next year, you'd be in a lot better position? Um, yes and no. I think it definitely, I'd be able to say, okay, maybe this area is not where I wanted to be because of the pressure that we had in there or... uh maybe the area I was in I liked a lot but I I'd say for the elk hunt if I were to go back next year if I wouldn't have killed a bull this year I probably would have been looking at different areas and I definitely learned a lot you learn a lot based on how the elk are moving and what they're doing in pressure because where we were we knew people that were archery hunting in there and they were saying man we got herds of like over 150 elk in this area in archery season that we've been seeing and that was just three weeks ago so whenever we went out there, we were like, man, this is great. We're going to be on elk constantly. And for the two days of scouting and the first day of the season, we saw a total of like seven elk. And it was like, oh, my God, are we in the wrong area? Like we're seeing just as many people as we were elk. So uh, yes and no, I think, it, I mean, of course, you're learning something every time you go out. So you're always yeah. going to have a better chance. But uh, I think more importantly is like ahead of time scouting. Like if you could go out there in September, you got to hunt in October, you could go out for a week in September and scout through September and have at least an idea of the area they're going to mm-hmm. be in or what call, I don't know, caliber and quality of bulls you have around you. I think that definitely would help more than like year to year scouting because a lot can change in uh, in that short of time. But uh, for the mule deer hunt, though, I think we nailed that one on the head. We, we hit that nail perfectly on the head. We were in a good area. We had no other hunting pressure anywhere around us. And we were seeing a lot of bucks, a lot of bucks. I mean, I think by the end of the hunt, and this is five or six days, we saw almost 30 bucks. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. So for the mule deer hunt, you know, we can be like, wow, definitely we want to go back to that area. So yeah, I mean, I guess you could say you can rule out areas based on mm-hmm. your pressure. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it changes from year to year, but you have a pretty, you get a lot better, like, plat for next year. Yeah. But uh, yeah, go and talk about the hunts, tell us the stories, and uh, try to talk about like what you guys, what you think you did right that really capitalized succeeding on the hunt. All right, I'll start with the mule deer hunt. Um, the mule deer hunt was a ton of fun because it was my first time ever being out there, and we were packed in on horseback by some of my uncle's friends that he still has living out there. So got packed in, had two good days of scouting, you know, up every morning before light, heading out on a ridge, glassing somewhere. Had two really good days of scouting. We were able to pattern bucks and be like, man, really like that buck. I think we're going to go after that buck. And on that hunt, we even saw a buck that was well over 200 inch, probably would have been Wyoming state record or number top three for the, the year in 2018. So definitely, um, you know, we're able to see some really good bucks and scouting really hard on them. 
so season open, well, I guess the night before season, we saw that real big buck. And we were like rushing back to camp because my uncle had something going on with his contacts and he couldn't see. And it was kind of a mess that night. And then we were on the way back to camp. And I looked down, and he's already rushing. He's like at camp or almost to camp trying to get some saline for his eyes or something. And I looked back at him, and I whistled. I'm like, hey, we got a big buck up here. And this buck, I mean, was a very big mule deer. He guided for 20 years for mule deer hunters, and it was the biggest buck he's seen in person. And he's killed two Booner mule deer bucks. So, you know, definitely a champ of a mule deer buck. So the next day... We were like, all right, we know he's in this area. Went out to this ridge and set up for the first morning. And this buck was in a bachelor group. He was with uh, four or five other bucks. And right below us on that ridge, we had two of the bucks that he was with the night before come out. And we're like, oh my gosh, it's going to happen right here. We're going to see this buck walk out and we're going to get a 100-yard shot at, you know, probably a 215-inch mule deer. And uh, so got real excited there and then we looked over and about 600 yards away the rest of that group including the real big buck stepped out and we're like oh man missed it by you know 600 yards just a little too far farther than what we were looking to shoot so you know missed it by just a little bit but we had the right idea so that night we went back in I don't think we saw I don't think we really saw anything that night maybe a few smaller bucks that night um, woke up the next morning, uh, went back to that same area, but closer to where that big buck came out the next morning. And I think on our way in that morning, we spooked him because we spooked, we know we spooked three of the other bucks that he had been hanging around with. So we think we spooked him on our way in, in the dark and we spooked them close. I mean, they were within like 20 yards. We could see him with our headlamps in the darks. So that was definitely a mistake we made there. Um, but still set up hoping that he would come out of this group of trees. And we saw him again that day and still just a little bit too far. And then my uncle was like stretching or looking behind him or something. And there was a group of three bucks. And these bucks, you know, they're pretty good, mature um, group of bucks. Uh, all three of them are about the same size. And he ended up shooting his buck out of that group at about 300 yards. Um, and his buck was right around 160 class mule deer, so it's still a really good, good, solid mule deer buck. Um, and definitely very exciting because you get, you know, once you get something down, it's like, oh man, the pressure's off. And we still had four days to be in the mountain too, so had no worries on like a time crunch, mm -hmm. and that was great. So, uh, Definitely got to capitalize on that opportunity just by being vigilant enough to look behind us and being in the right areas. But we didn't even know that buck was around or that group of bucks was around. We hadn't seen them before. But, yep, made a good shot on that buck. My Uncle John made a good shot on that buck and uh, got up there, found the buck. And then that's where, you know, everybody says that's where the work starts. But boy, that's where the coolest part of the hunt started. I've never got to quarter a buck in the mountain like that. Did the gutless method on the buck. Uh, caped him out. And quartered him up. And then got to pack him back to our camp. And that, for me, was like the coolest part of any hunt I've ever been on. It's like, you feel like, man, this is mountain hunting here. Mm -hmm. You quarter it out and put it in your game bags and hike it back to your camp. And then that night... We got to eat fresh mule deer tenderloin in the mountains. And after, at this point, you know, four days eating, you know, nothing against freeze-dried food is pretty good, but it was not. <laughs> nothing like a fresh tenderloin, that's oh, for sure. Oh, boy, you pull a fresh tenderloin out of that buck and cook it up with a little bit of butter, and it was like the best piece of meat you ever ate. That's, that's what the trips are worth right there. If for nothing else, even if you shot, you know, a spike... The taste of that steak is just, it's just success. Yeah, you, you could get a $200 steak at the fanciest restaurant in America, and it's still not as good as that steak tasted. That right there, it's, you know. The amount of work you put in for that, the amount of planning, preparation. Exactly. It was so good. I mean, especially having, you know, real food after <laughs> four days of freeze-dried food. Yeah. Which, don't get me wrong, freeze-dried food's okay, but it is not tenderloin. So, 
that right there made every bit of hard work we put into it totally worth it uh, just to have that experience just to be eating a tenderloin on the middle of a mountain so uh, that was about it for the mule deer hunt we did end up hanging out in the mountain for another day just BS and hanging around we did see that big buck um, the day that we were set to pack out of the mountain we saw that really big buck that we had been hunting within 400 yards of our camp the morning when we woke up so that was like uh, one of those oh my god you know heartbreaker but still wouldn't change it for anything and neither would my uncle he said that he wouldn't go back and uh, he wouldn't go back and you know regret shooting the buck he did yeah. knowing even if he knew that yeah, the buck that he got was really nice it was it was a very very solid mule deer for the area that we were hunting so that was uh, very cool. And then uh, I'll get into the elk hunt a little bit here. The elk hunt's pretty interesting. He had a yeah. good time. Yeah, the elk hunt was, it was something. <laughs> you know, you can always go out and you, there's a lot of things you expect. You expect it to be hard. You expect a lot of hiking. You expect weather to be rough. But when we went out there, we got packed into the mountain on horseback. And we're about four and a half miles in. And we set up our tent and all that, waiting around that night, scouted a little bit that night, saw some mule deer, didn't see any elk that night. And uh, the wind was starting to pick up, and I mean, the wind was howling through there. Well, by the middle of that night, the wind ended up getting to <laughs> about 55, 60 mile an hour winds, and we're laying in the tent, it's pitch black, and all around us, you just hear trees falling, you know, just one after another, every... You know, every time the wind would come up the valley and it'd just be whoosh, coming right up the valley, you'd hear the trees falling right behind that wind. And it was terrifying. And you're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, when's it going to be me? And then the rain started. Once the rain started, trees really started falling. It was I cold mean, too, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was right above freezing that night. So <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't snow on the ground. But there, well, there was snow on the ground already, but that rain, it was like 33 degrees pouring down rain everything we had was soaked had rain seeping in through the zippers on our tent and then uh right about 3 30 in the morning you know we're both laying there nobody had any sleep and uh listening to these trees falling both laying there just scared and a uh, big gust of wind came up and a little branch fell and hit my uncle's side of the tent and i had sat up and i was about to ask him hey are you all right <laughs> and the second I sat up, I had an entire tree come down right on my head. And I mean, not like a small tree, a great big Wyoming big pine tree came straight down right on my head. And uh, I was very lucky because we had that lodge pole in the tent, that you know ridge pole right up the center of the tent. And that tree hit that pole first and then smacked me in the head. But it knocked me down to the ground and I was very... Uh, very sick and a little bit unconscious for a couple minutes there. He was crying. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it was terrifying. That would be scary. Oh, man. I just, I can remember just sitting up. I was just about to ask my uncle and I just, you Boom. just heard crack and it just hit me right in the head and I went down and, you know, you got hit in the head and I'm like, didn't know which way was up and which way was down and what just happened and I was extremely fortunate to live through that, um... Uh, it, it came down yeah, I mean, to, that could have ended your hunt right there it could have came down to inches of me being dead if there was like a branch that would have come through and stabbed me i definitely could have died right there on that hunt but uh god was watching out for me on that hunt and i was very fortunate to uh to have lived through that night alone and uh definitely got a concussion from that i, I was definitely a little nauseous and dizzy and loopy for the whole next couple days but, uh, you know, you're out there to be hunting. So uh, our tent got hunting. a tent got shredded that night from that tree. It got absolutely shredded. We had, you know, four-foot holes through the side of the tent. Um, it's pouring down rain, so every piece of gear that we had was absolutely soaked. Um, we did not have a way to fix our tent, and this is about 3.30 in the morning, so it doesn't get light till I don't know, 7 o'clock or so in the morning. So... 
we both decided, you know, I looked at my uncle when we were talking, we both decided that we didn't want to be anywhere near the trees for the rest of the night. So we went and sat on this hillside, uh, just an open meadow hillside in 55 mile an hour winds. It's pouring down rain. It's in the 30 degrees and it was absolutely freezing. You know, I just drug out my, my sleeping pad and a couple coats and just laid down on the ground, huddled up, shivering, freezing, thankful to be alive, but absolutely terrified, sitting there with just, you know, a little lantern in between me and my uncle. And we laid on that mountainside for the next three hours till it got light. And it was just an agonizingly terrifying night. It was horrible. <laughs> you know, you just, you never know what's happening. You're like, trying to be like okay am I far enough away from that tree if that tree fell towards me am I going to be able you know am I far enough away and uh boy it was scary it it <laughs> really was scary so once it got light we grabbed uh, the bare necessities of what we needed hiked out went back to our truck you know about a four and a half mile hike um got back to the truck drove about 30 miles to the nearest place that had duct tape and got duct tape and then uh we, you know, got back from where we got the duct tape, still soaking wet. Nothing we have is dry. It was miserable cold. And uh, we're sitting in the truck at the trailhead, getting ready to hike back in. And I'm like, all right, I just want a few minutes. So we just took like a 30-minute nap because we had not slept at all the night before. And uh, I was just getting out of the truck, packing up our stuff to head back in. And a tree fell within 10 feet of the truck. And it's like, oh my God, is this a sign? Am I supposed to go back in? You know, because the wind had not let up at all. It's still going just as fast as it was all night long. So we're there. And it's like, oh my, do I want to go back in here? Should we spend the night in the truck just to make sure we live through this? And, you know, trying to check a weather report. Whenever we got back to where we could get the duct tape, they had a weather report. And the wind was not supposed to let up for the next two days. And it's like, oh, should we go back in? Is, you know, is an elk worth risking your life for? But, you know, sat there and contemplated it for a while and put our packs back on our back and hiked back in because you're there for a hunt. You're not there to, you know, you didn't put all that time, that effort, that money into a hunt to go and sit in the truck. So hiked back into the mountain, uh, moved our tent into the middle of the open meadow, <laughs> far away from any trees of any size that could hurt us which I'm very glad we did. Um, got our tent taped back together best we could. <laughs> Tape wasn't sticking real good because it was, you know, 30 degrees right then. And uh, tried to fix everything and patch everything back up. Started a fire, tried to dry out our stuff, and nothing was drying out. We were just soaked. And uh, miserable cold. But we ended up seeing elk that night from the camp which was good that was definitely like uh something to get your spirits up a little bit because it was <laughs> After uh, escaping death yeah miserable night and uh so that was our last day of scouting like the day that we saw those elk that was our last day of scouting season started the next morning and that night it got down to uh, i don't know how cold it got but it was under you know in the signal digits under 10 degrees somewhere right around two or three degrees probably <laughs> we had holes That's in the cool. tent there is no way to keep heat in everything you have is soaked everything's frozen and i can remember we had about a gallon of water in uh like bags or water bladders in between my uncle and i you know in the warmest part of the tent right in between my uncle and i and they froze solid about a gallon of water froze solid <laughs> right between us and I can remember it being so cold, like your nose would peek out of the sleeping bag. And as soon as your nose peeked out, it was frozen instantly. And it was just miserable cold. The wind was still whipping through there. The whole tent was all in, you know, in a wreck. So the wind would catch like a hole in the side of the tent and be flapping the tent. So we did not sleep much either that night. But less trees fell that night, so we felt a little bit better. Probably because every tree fell the night before. There wasn't many trees left standing to fall. And uh, the next day was hunting season. So definitely got excited for that, but it was a tough day to be excited. Uh, woke up the next morning, went in to find the elk that we had seen the night before. We had seen a, a group, uh, six cows and a couple spikes and one three by four that was 
you know, not a bad elk. And I wasn't really trophy hunting on this hunt. I just wanted to be out there. And if I got an elk, that's a bonus. So I um, went in the next day into that area. And we're walking along this real narrow ridge. It's about two miles away from our camp. About, still about four miles away from the road. And we saw a boot track on top of this narrow ridge. And we're like looking around and didn't see any boot tracks anywhere else. It's just one boot track. It's like, this guy just get airdropped in here or what? <laughs> Coming from a helicopter? But walked along, followed the direction that boot track was facing. And it was real icy snow. So you didn't punch through the snow in all the spots. And, uh. Found this guy on top of this ridge who might be listening to this podcast right now because he is from Potter County, Pennsylvania. Yeah, what are the chances of that? You go all the way out, like 2,000 miles across country and run into a guy that lives two hours from you. Yeah, lives in Potter County, Pennsylvania. Um, I wish I could remember the guy's name right now. I can't even think of his name. Older gentleman. But we saw him. He's up there with the nosebleed. And we'll go over and talk to him. He knows all the Gage's family. Um, Corey Galvis, who just killed a giant buck three days before we were in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, do you know Corey Galvis? He's like, yeah. He, we're like, did you see the buck he killed? He goes, no. So we got to show off Corey Galvis's buck 2,000 miles away from home in the middle of nowhere to a guy that knows everybody we know. So yeah, that that's, was uh, that's something. an unbelievable day that you never expect. Uh, but it ended up, we talked to him and he was a real nice guy. He had killed a bunch of elk in his life and he said that he was just excited to be out there hunting, didn't care if he shot one. So he was nice enough to tell us that he had spooked to the group of elk that we had seen the night before. So we knew like, okay, you're in the right area. We're in the right area, but those elk might be a little bit busted. So we went back, you know, away from him, gave him his space cause he was in that area before we were and uh, set up. Watched a hillside for the night, saw a couple of mule deer, I think, uh, saw a few guys, and then we're kind of bummed out, because it's like, man, the only group of elk we've seen the whole time just got spooked, don't know where they went, they probably ran into another group of hunters down the mountain, so it's like, you know, a big bummer there, but um, went to bed that night, another cold, miserable night, but at least the wind had died down a little bit. But it was really cold that night, too. And uh, woke up the next morning with a plan just to go up the valley and see if we could find anything going up the valley. So we were walking along up the valley. We had seen a couple boot tracks up there that walked past our camp and kept going up the valley. Um, And walking along, weren't seeing any elk tracks, saw a few mule deer does and... Then saw one set of elk tracks, and it's like, okay, this is good, because the snow had fallen maybe four days ago, and that set of elk tracks was like, okay, well, there's an elk in this area. That's good. And it's by itself, so maybe it's a bull. Mm -hmm. So we're sitting there taking pictures, because it was a beautiful, beautiful landscape down through this valley, absolutely gorgeous. Taking some pictures, and I looked over on this hillside, and I said, oh my gosh, there's a cow. There's a cow elk. And it's like, that's great. We're seeing an elk, so we're watching that cow, and then all of a sudden, out of the timber, erupts a group of about 60 elk, and it's like, holy crap, now we've figured it out. Now we found now. something. Yeah. How far away were they when you first saw them? Uh, probably about 500 yards, so that's a little farther than I'm comfortable with shooting, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a whole group there, so it didn't want to try to like go closer to them because they don't want to pick them off and spook them over the hillside and out of your life for the whole hunt. Mm-hmm. So, um, circled kind of back down around the valley and went the direction we expected that group to be going. And there were a couple bulls in that group, uh, a bunch of spikes, a bunch of cows, and maybe four or five bulls. Um, the biggest one was probably about a five by five. So, went down the valley, circled around, um, and got into this avalanche chute. So, an avalanche chute is where like an avalanche went through and knocked out all the trees so you could see straight up the mountain and rushed up there and got within a couple hundred yards of where we expected them to be coming through the timber and pretty much as soon as we were getting ready and getting set up the first cow of the group came through and then uh, about eight cows and a spike walked through and then there was a break for five minutes and we're like oh man was that the end of the group was that like the last little bit of the group did we just blow this and miss <laughs> our opportunity there 
and uh, about 10 minutes went by and then we saw another cow and then the group started really coming through all of the elk and we had went through about um, 40 elk probably in total and the biggest bull that we had seen was like a, a two by three and I'd passed it because we knew there were bigger elk in the group but then it was like oh my gosh was I making the right decision passing <laughs> that bull and uh, finally the bull that uh, a bull that was pretty good size it was a, a four by five stepped out and I was like okay I'll shoot that bull and it was right about 300 yards and it was a very steep uphill shot and the first shot I you know I felt good I was steady on my pack. I took a shot, and I watched this bull just stand there and look at me. I'm like, oh, no. I just <laughs> blew it. So reloaded. I shot again, and I could have sworn that it looked like that bull was hit on the second shot. But I had a third shot in my gun. So I racked a third shot, and I shot the third time. And the third shot definitely hit him. Heard a big pock, but he was, like, running straight away from us on that shot. But... Definitely wanted to shoot again because I thought I hit him on the second shot too. Mm -hmm. And uh, he ran along and went out of sight. And we were like, okay, pretty positive I hit it. Don't know where. Don't know how good of a hit. And there's elk running everywhere. <laughs> and you're, you know, listening to all these elk running through the brush. And it's like, oh my gosh, he could have gone anywhere. And this hill we're on, I mean, you got to understand. Uh, that like there's pictures that I posted online and stuff, but nothing does it justice of how it's steep hill, it was. It's a yeah. Cliff. It was extremely steep, extremely steep mountain. I mean, it was so steep that hiking up to where we thought the bull was, I was really scared for my life. Like one of those situations where okay, if I make a wrong move with my foot here, I'm You're gonna going down. <laughs> I'm gonna go down the hill and you know definitely gonna end up with some broken legs or maybe you know worse than that. I mean, it was so steep that I'm standing straight up and down, you know, perpendic yeah, perpendicular with what would be level, and I can stick my arm straight in front of me and touch the mountain. <laughs> so it was unbelievably steep, and it was like a, a shale kind of rock because it was where the avalanche went through, so it knocked, you know, all the trees, and it's just this shale rock, loose rock, and you're trying to hike up this, and it probably took us... Uh, hour and a half maybe two hours just to get up the hill and we were taking a breather because you know definitely difficult hiking up that stuff taking a breather and my uncle looked up and he goes there's a bull laying down there looking at us I'm like are you serious and it was 30 yards from us watching us for about five minutes while we were taking a break so looked up saw it saw that it was bleeding out of like its uh, back area like right across the spine it was bleeding they're like, okay, that's definitely the bull that I just shot. And verified it was the bull I shot, snuck in a little closer, and uh, used my uncle's gun. He had his gun along because he had predator tag on that hunt. So trying to get a wolf. And uh, used my uncle's gun because he had it available and ready real quick. And uh, finished the bull off. And then it was like the best feeling in the world because then you knew we got an elk down have an elk down you know you accomplished what you set out to do there and uh but then it's you know you the celebration gets a little bit died down and you know your emotions start going down and then you're sitting there thinking with a, a logical mind how do we get this bull off the mountain yeah i mean that's a it's a hard task when you're up that steep. Yeah, so it, you know, it, it's not like, it, it was really hard just to walk up this mountain because it was so steep, so it's not like you're just going to casually walk down the mountain. So then it's like a matter of, do we pack this bull out, or are we going to just have to try to roll it down the mountain? And uh, after taking a few pictures and stuff, decided that the only option is just to let it roll down the mountain. So... Um, Skull capped it out and took the head off, so I had the horns with me, and cut the legs off at the joints, and pushed this bull right off the mountain, pretty much. That's <laughs> about the only option we had. It you had to be a sight watching that thing roll down. Well, it, it kept getting hung up on these little trees, because it was in the timber. It wasn't in the avalanche chute anymore, uh, where it, it died. It was in the timber, and we pushed it. And trying to get it to go towards the avalanche chute, but kept getting hung up on these trees. So we'd make it, you know, maybe 20 yards at a time. 
and have to keep going, getting it and pulling it off these trees and pushing it down again. And then finally we got into the avalanche chute and it rolled about a hundred yards. And there was one little pine tree, little sapling pine tree that it could have got hung up on in the middle of the avalanche chute in the steepest part. And didn't you know it got hung up on that pine tree? <laughs> so I had to crawl out there and I crawled out like on my butt using my elbows and my heels and my butt just like scooting across this hillside getting out to this bull and it's on that loose shale so your feet are slipping and you're slipping falling 10 feet at a time and I finally made it to the bull and then it's like okay don't get hung up in this bull and let it loose out of this pine tree and it went and rolled probably another 600 yards down the mountain (laughs) it rolled the whole way down to the bottom so it was pretty pretty cool to watch it but you're also like oh my gosh my meat's gonna be beat up that bull just got shredded by the mountain by the shale but no other way to do it and then it took us probably another hour just to get down the mountain because it was so steep probably took us yeah a whole hour just to get down the mountain and uh got to the bottom and got everything quartered out and hung up in the trees and game bags and got all the meat taken care of and got everything I wanted out of the bull and went back to camp and had another one of those tenderloins <laughs> that changes your life. And that is pretty much the story of that bull. Yeah, so Weston had a fantastic two trips out to Wyoming and uh, capitalized, got his first bull. So that's pretty awesome. Is there anything else you really want to talk about? Um... Not really from the elk hunt. Uh, A big thing with being out there, though, is like you got to expect the unexpected. You're going to have obstacles that you don't expect that, you know, things are going to go wrong and you got to be prepared for that. And it can be such a letdown because you're so excited and you're on such this high just to be there that whenever things go wrong, it's easy to be like in a slump like, oh, my gosh you know this is like ruining my hunt or whatever so you got to kind of pull yourself back from those emotions for a second and realize just how good it is to be out there no matter what happens and you're there Mm -hmm. to hunt you know things are going to go wrong it's not going to work out perfect every time there isn't a script that anything's going to follow but you got to pull yourself back and just be like just be glad to be in the most beautiful country you'll ever be in and experience the country for what it is and be grateful just to be out there Yeah, so it sounds like out west is definitely something that everyone should experience. Absolutely. I think if you have, you know, if you can afford to do it, if you can save up enough money, plan it a couple years ahead of time if you have to, but absolutely go out. Even if you're not hunting, if you can find somebody that has a tag and will let you tag along, or if you want to just go out and scout, just experience that country, I'd say it's worth all the money in the world because there's nothing better. There's no better place than being in the mountains like that. Yeah, I'm excited to finally get out there, hopefully then when I graduate school here. But uh, yeah, if you didn't learn something that episode, you were definitely weren't listening. But uh, yeah, Weston, thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me, and hopefully I didn't bore anybody. <laughs> Got a little long-winded there for a while. Sorry about that, but... Yeah, it was good. His story was great. I think everyone's going to take away at least something from that hunt. And there's my dog. She wants to go outside, so... That'll be the wrap for the fourth episode of The Wet Snood. Hope you guys enjoy. Scoobs.